How you doing? Eddie Murphy, the funniest man in America. Once you have a man with no legs, you never go back, baby. In Trading Places, the funniest comedy of the summer. I can see! I can see! I have, le I can I have legs! Dan Eckert <laughs> and Eddie Murphy in Trading Places. Some very funny business. Free slime ball! Moi? Trading Places, rated R. Starts Wednesday at a theater near you. Welcome back to the podcast, Old Millennials Remember Movies. I am your tired co-host, Angela Yoshiko, here with my handsome co-host, Tyler Wilson. Tyler, welcome. Hi there. I'm going to try to modulate my voice properly. You have to give me visual cues if I start yelling, because I still have this plugged ear for weeks now. Yeah, so I kicked Tyler in the head, apparently. Several times. Several times. Mm -hmm. And now his ear's all fucked up. It's been fucked up for a few weeks now. I even had a doctor look at it and like, yeah, it's perforated, you gotta let it heal. Uh, it's, gonna be, it's my life now. Yeah. <laughs> What's frustrating about the human body is that doctors don't know fucking anything, it feels like. Because they're like, yeah, this will fix it, and then it doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like you get these random things that, like, your body should work a certain way, and then it doesn't, and you don't know why. And it's like a very common, frustrating human experience. It's very frustrating. Yeah, totally unrelated to the movie we're going to be no. talking about today, which is Trading Places from my birth year, 1983. But we will get into that. Yeah, that was a... the tr Even the TV sp spot for that was uh, very weird. It just was leaning on Eddie Murphy, which I get. The funniest I get it. man in America. I get it. Um, what surprised me when I watched that trailer was it was like the funniest movie of the summer. And I was like, oh, this came out in the summer? Yeah, because we were... This was like... We're a little bit late in our recording, but it was going to be like a new, you know, new. This is our first of the twenty twenty one. It's a New Year's because there's it's the a movie holiday winter. There's a scene at Christmas Eve. Yeah. There's a scene at. There's a pretty extended sequence at New Year's Eve. So yeah, it kind of works as like a New Year's type movie. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Before we talk about that, let's uh, jump into our segment. What you've been watching because we've been watching a lot of stuff, and by we, I mean you, because it is the. Beginning of the year, but it's really the end of the movie year for you, where you catch up, you try to watch, you try to watch as many, you know, movies from the year that you now have access to. So you've been racking them up. I have been, you know, we, we will in a, a couple episodes talk about our favorites of the year, of the past year or so. We're going to probably do it a little differently because you've watched a lot more TV than I have. I've, you watch TV and I've watched uh, movies. Uh, but yeah, you know, I thought, you know, because of the pandemic, I thought I'd be, well short, but uh, I'm actually on pace with my normal. I'll probably, by the time we talk about it, have at least 100 movies to discuss. Um, mm -hmm. at, at 90-something right now, I think. And I'll have to do my newspaper one very soon. But, uh, yeah, I like to try to catch up as much as I can. It's a weird year because the Oscars are uh, allowing January and February, February releases to be part of the Oscars, which are going to happen in April. So it's a little bit weird. But for the most part, most everything's come out. There's a couple lingering things that will be out here in a few weeks, but one of them I saw because of a virtual uh, film festival. So, what so do we do? when we talk about our favorites from the year, this is how that episode's going to go. It's going to mm -hmm. be like, here's a bunch of really high quality, good movies that Tyler's been watching. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be a bunch of random, uh, revealing and embarrassing stuff that I've been watching. But it'll be your favorite 10 of garbage. Well, that's right, okay. Because I do watch a lot of garbage. I'm going to cheat, though, because I have, because of the way we're doing it, I'm going to have other things to talk about, uh, little bonus categories for things that aren't movies, because so we're going to it's not going to be it 10, up. it's going to be like 40 good things from Tyler, and two good Listen, things from Listen, I usually me. write like a t top 20, so even when I do the podcast, like doing 10 is already hard enough. 
And I'm already cheating because the uh, Steve McQueen movies are going to take up just one slot, and that's like five movies. So there you go. I'm a cheater. So do you think any of the the things you've been watching here that I see on your list you're going to talk about today are going to make it on your top ten, top the, twenty, top thirty? Very possible. Okay. A few of them. A few of them uh, will be in that conversation okay. somewhere in those. I'm going to go ahead and guess between the, one and twenty, probably. I'm going to go ahead and guess that the first one we're going to talk about is not going to make it, and that is Wonder Woman 1984. So we got the HBO Max to uh, you know get uh, to watch it. I know it is also in theaters, but that's that's a terrible decision. Um, so we we got the HBO Max to watch this. Uh, we didn't watch a Christmas Day. We watched the next day. I was so excited. I think a lot of people were, right? Because it's like superhero, it's Wonder Woman, it's, you know... it's Everything gonna... else has been canceled. Yes. Oh, the one thing I didn't put on this list, which you can also talk about in a minute, is the, the other blockbuster that we hadn't watched until... Oh, yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But we watched this one first. Um, yeah, Wonder Woman 1984 uh, has been... It's weird, because, you know, when the early reviews came out, it was like positive. Oh, this is a positive. You know, this is going to be a great little thing for Christmas, right? And then it comes out, and it seems like the overwhelming majority of people who watched it and said something about it online really hated it. <laughs> yeah, I would be one of. I wouldn't know. I I don't necessarily say I hated it, right? But I didn't like it, and I probably wouldn't watch it again. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a mess. It's a huge mess, and I don't know yeah, what it's got, happened. It's got several problems that you could focus on. It's got it. It, it just it makes it just decides it to do know, a few yeah. different things, and those things are not the right ideas. <laughs> well, it's striking weird tones. Mm-hmm. So, like the beginning of it, it feels like it's like we're gonna make this like oh '80s movie. But yeah, we're not gonna have like any '80s music, but we're gonna do weird '80s like like style of. Like, jokey, I don't know how to describe it. You describe it better. Well, I think the intent is maybe to kind of, and, you know, I'm not the only one who has said this, but, like, the tone of it is, at the beginning, anyway, trying, well, not the, not even the opening. The opening that's set on the island is oh, yeah, more of the same that we kind of saw previously. But then it, when it gets to this mall sequence, it, the it, mall. it gets this oh. vibe of, like, Richard Donner Superman, which is, like, 70s, 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um but then it kind of largely abandons that tone a little bit. Um, but there, okay, so there was one point in the it's small two and a half hours Oof. that I was like, "Is Christopher Col- or is Chris Columbus uh, home aloneing this home, movie? Is, yeah. Like, what is happening here?" Well, and it's weird because it's it, you know it's a movie where there's like three action scenes in a two and a half hour superhero movie, which is probably not enough. No. Maybe I would say not necessarily, but that seems like an odd, a little, oddly light on action. It's enough if you're doing a lot in the in the rest of the time. Yeah, and it, what's you know I didn't even realize this until it was pointed out to me. Like you know how like in the first movie, which is I think is very good. Uh, uh, you know, I think the first Wonder Woman movie is. I think a lot of us really like that movie, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, she uses like a sword and a shield, and the the lasso is only very occasionally used. Whereas like. I I didn't even I didn't even realize this. Like every action scene is just her and the lasso, and yeah. if you think about that, I was like, I guess the lasso is cool, but like, what happened to the other stuff? It's kind of weird. Um, yeah, agreed. and you know, it's just over stuff with too many ideas, and, and not a lot of it's executed well. I I like um, I like what Kristen Wiig is doing here as Barbara Minerva before she turns into the spoilers, the cheetah, and I like uh, the Mandalorian. Uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm spacing on his name all of a sudden. Oh, uh, pa- Pablo Pascal, Pedro Pascal. Sorry, um, he's very good as this uh, '80s villain, right? But it's just the weirdest story. It's essentially a Wishmaster uh, sequel. 
uh, a lot of wishing and going on, which, again, you know, it's weird because everybody's making fun of the wish stuff a lot, right? And if you think about it, it isn't that much goofier than, like, Infinity, Infinity Stones. It's the execution of it. But, it's right, the, it's the way it's that the it's executed. Of... It just makes it so easy to not take it very seriously, right? And it's over stuff, and you have to overthink it, and the lo- the logic of it doesn't really make a lot of easy sense. Um, they have to find a way to bring Chris Pine back, and I feel like they... Number one, he's, like, I think Chris Pine is the best part of the movie, and yet it is absolutely wrong... Yeah. For, for this movie like his character should not be back because we have to kind of buy that uh wonder woman has just been like lonely and pining him for him for 70 years and it's the only thing that she wants and then it, it's there and it's just this weird and the way they do it is just so weird and yeah it's it like, feels incomplete yeah it's like they were just sitting around and they were like man you know to make this movie great chris pine okay how do we get him in oh she'll wish him back done without any thought to like should she still be in in devastating grief over him? I don't think after like seventy years. Maybe you could have done it where she wasn't, or you know, where he she wasn't like that. I don't. But see, they they hurt themselves right off the bat because in like the if they're sticking to their own continuity, she's kind of like sad in Batman versus Superman and Justice League. So it's like she still has to be sad over ninety years, and it just is like it's such a cheap way of like kind of just like weakening this character in an annoying way and it, it's just it's frustrating and mm-hmm. there's yeah I just it's not now that being said the when it when things like this get nailed online I begin to wonder what is it is it that bad and I don't think it's that bad I think it has it's weird and I like weird like the fact that it's a Wishmaster sequel is bizarre, and I kind of appreciate that. Should have leaned into that just like a uh, little bit. They lean into it all. I mean, anything mm. with uh, the Mandalorian is all just uh, all that, right? I mean, yeah. so I kind of appreciate that. And then sometimes I think like, you know, people are pent up. They haven't seen a movie like this in a while. It's directed have, like, by a woman. Have... Like we just have to start railing on this thing, and I just feel like it's a little aggressive. No, there's just so many annoying parts. Like the whole part with the Mandalorian and his son. Oh, that's Every horrible. scene with the son is awful. The ending. I've heard people say that's their favorite storyline, and that's a problem. Uh, like, oh, well, that's the, the only emotional moment of the movie. It's like, well, that's because he's doing good acting, but not the kid. The kid's no good. No, but, no, uh, yeah, no, no. I, I disagree with no. that. No, I disagree with that. So it's not. It's it's so many problems. It it's not very good. Um, okay, is it the worst on. movie of the year? But I don't know. But let's yeah, move so. on. We did not we did not enjoy that. Yeah, I would not as, recommend it. No, I don't think anybody. It's been, not very popular. That's for sure. Um, yeah, okay. Well, that's Wonder Woman 84. We watched, uh, we watched the other big Christmas Day release, which was Pixar's Soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, we turned that on. Did we turn that on on Christmas Day with the kids? I think we did in the evening, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, all, it was, all uh, days blur together. it was enjoyed by all. Um, Pixar is usually very reliable. I love Pixar. It is very good. Um, the music in it is great, like, both sides of it, because there's, like, this afterlife world and then there's this jazz world that's on the real world and both sides of it like it's Trent Reznor Atticus Ross to do the stuff in the afterlife and then the jazz stuff is John Baptiste and all that's really good animation's beautiful um, I like the dynamic between Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey um, I thought it came down to a really powerful uh, message and climax without like overdoing it. It's just very subtle, which I, I I think that I mean they're the best at that, right? Like they can do a message movie without it feeling heavy handed, and mm-hmm. this just comes to a 
a place that is it just feels like the right place to for it to go so i mean i i, I really liked it um it's yeah it's great i did you enjoy it i did i would watch it again <laughs> yeah, I, I again, I don't. Th- there's a little bit of like negative chatter about certain things, and I just, uh, I'm just like, whatever. I, I think that the, some of that stuff is. Uh, no, I just un- really enjoy a kids movie that's actually about something. It's about something. It's beautifully animated. It's funny. I, I, I mean, they're just they're the best at this stuff. You know, I've heard a lot of people. Uh, it's between the you know for animated fe- the best animated feature of the year. This is Soul, and then it's. Uh, Wolfwalkers is another movie I watched, mm. um, and it's from the Secret of Kells animation studio. They're hand drawn, and it's a gorgeous looking movie. It's really good. Um, I a lot of people like that one over Soul. If I personally had to choose, I liked Soul a mm. little bit more, um, just because of the story I liked better. But the other one's very good, and I it wouldn't it wouldn't bother me if they were to win an Oscar because they have been very underappreciated, and obviously Pixar is a juggernaut, so. Juggernaut. Did yeah. I say juggernaut? You did say juggernaut. <laughs> juggernaut. But it's very good. Both are very good. I'd recommend uh, both of them. One's on Apple TV Plus. The other's on Disney Plus. So another animated movie that I watched over mm-hmm. winter break during this time period. Um, that's an older movie, but I hadn't seen it yet. Was Kung Fu Panda Three. So I went back. <laughs> you watched all the Kung Fu Panda with the kids, Kung right? Kung Fu yeah. Panda and Kung Fu Panda, and then we watched Kung Fu Panda Two with the kids, mm-hmm. and then the third one, which I had not seen, but you had on. I had a DVD, DVD. like a Black Friday from years, yep. a three dollar DVD. Right? So we opened it, Sealed. and watched it, and I was expecting it to be terrible, and it was good. Yeah, and it was better than Wonder Woman by a long shot. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think that that series is still like the quality is one, two, three, but. Number three is yes. still very good. It's still very <laughs> like it's a pretty good. solid trilogy, really, and it's kind of a little underappreciated in that regard. Yeah, it's very solid. Yeah. It's like the I mean, if you go by DreamWorks animation, I think that you know when all the dust has settled on those Shrek movies and the the, the jokes have dated now, right? Mm-hmm. I think what emerges is Kung Fu Panda. Maybe How to Train Your Dragon is a very good series from them too. But yeah, um, yeah Kung Fu Panda is underrated. I think it's very very good, it, even though like. It's a star-filled voice yes. cast. It's one of those where you're like, eh. But, I mean, because Jack Black is perfect in yes. that role, it works fine. And everybody else has such smaller parts. And then usually they're really smart about their villain casting, too. Yeah. Um, it's Ian McShane in the first one. It's Gary Oldman in the second one. And it's J.K. Simmons in the third one. And then they even bring in Brian Cranston for a... He's not a bad guy, but he's... It, they're very smart about how yeah. they bring in other other yeah. characters anyway so just a side note i also love how uh the and the character the actor who gets the and credit in all three is jackie chan mm-hmm. which because you know it's kung fu it's jackie chan that makes sense to me but literally he has five lines in each movie yeah <laughs> which is funny to me yeah. the character's always around but he doesn't talk much yeah totally. yeah anyway so if you haven't seen those in a while they're good can you yeah just go back and watch i don't they're know if good. they're on a streaming service we just have the dvds but... <laughs> some of them are yeah anyway good what else? Let's see. Well, related to animation, you watched a little musical. <laughs> yeah, I just watched this last night. Oh my God. So, you know, I'm trying to maximize that HBO Max while I have it for the month. Might keep it going as a couple more. They're doing this theatrical window thing, which, you know, is very controversial, but I'm very happy about because it's new movies that, uh, that are coming straight to my house. I don't have to go somewhere. That's unsafe. Um, anyway. Cats is on there, right? And listen, like I would we, never recommend. <laughs> oh yeah, we have been joking about watching Cats for in, a while. In now. the lead up to uh, Wonder Woman on Christmas Day, I was like, we better fire. We gotta. It's like we gotta fire up that HBO Max because we're gonna have it ready for Wonder Woman. And the first day we're gonna do, we're gonna turn on and watch Cats because I knew Cats is on there. Oh right? God. 
I you mean, just, you know it's going to be bad. I told you it was going to be obviously, bad. Obviously, don't know why it was horribly reviewed. It Nobody saw it, right? So, I mean, what's weird about it? Oh, there's a lot of things weird about it, right? Um, it's a couple things that are weird. Number one is I, despite knowing like the memory song and thinking that's a good song, I was really unfamiliar with what like the plot of Cats is. Yeah, and it is like. It is not a story. There's a cat that comes into, like, a town or an alley, and the whole movie or the whole show is just like, hey, you're a new cat. Let's go introduce you to this cat. And then there's a song about that cat. And it's like, hey, did you meet that cat? Where do you meet this other cat? And they go and they sing about that cat. And then they go to another cat. And then they just go to different cats. And in the movie, it's like James Corden and Rebel Wilson cats and then Ian McKellen cat. And Idris Elba's the bad cat who's just kind of lingering around, but he doesn't sing very much. Taylor Swift later, right? It's so weird. It's not a movie. It's just like, here's a cat. And they have a weird name. Well, and then they do it. They have like a weird feature. And there's some creepy dancing around. It's just bizarre. I mean, I feel like you should have known this just from the title. Hey, wait, what are you going to see? Cats. What's it about? Cats. Well, it, no, I mean, right. It is that. But like the songs to me, other than memory... And there's like one other one I thought was pretty good. It's just a it's a bunch of movie full of nonsense music. And then I honestly thought the best move song was like there's a Taylor Swift song over the credits that's new, mm-hmm. easily the best song in the whole thing. Um, well, other thing that was weird mm-hmm. is that obviously people are freaked out by the CGI cats, and this is kind of funny because uh, Wonder Woman eighty four has the cheetah, and I would mm-hmm. say the cheetah visual effects are a little better than the cats movie, probably a lot better, but. The cats, that's what's fascinating. It got nailed for how awful it looks. Mm-hmm. And it does look bad, especially in the first, like, half hour. And I don't know if it's because you just get used to it mm-hmm. or if it's genuinely better. Because, like, the Rebel Wilson and the James Corden characters, they're, like, big tubby cats, mm-hmm. which is a little... Un- Rebel Wilson lost a bunch of weight, but they're not that. It's ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. But they look really bad. Like, it just doesn't look... It looks animated in a weird, creepy way, right? And then when you get to, like... Idris Elba, who's around, he doesn't look that great. But, like, Ian McKellen, who's old, kind of works a little better. Judy Dench, a little, like, it's just not that. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't scare you as much. Even the, and then I swear to God, Taylor Swift must have, like, pulled clout and was just like, she must have saw, like, what the other people look like. Uh uh. Go back and, like, fucking spend another $10 million and animate this properly. Cause I feel like for, like, the young, quote unquote, younger characters, she looked by far, like, a real entity more than the other ones. Like, I swear to God, she had like clout to be like, uh, I'm not going to, you're not going to do this to me. You're not going to James Corden me right now. Weird. That's Um, weird. It's horrible. But you know, as a, as a, it's a thing that they made and all these stars are in it. It's so bizarre. Hey, hey, I got a newsflash for you, Tyler. You don't have to watch everything. I know, but it's like Ian McKellen, Judy Dench, Idris Elba, Taylor Swift, Jennifer Hudson is the cat that does memory, and she's good, and her makeup looks doesn't look too bad. So if they're in the shadows, it's not like in 19, Wonder Woman 1984. As long as it's in the shadows, it doesn't look too bad, Fair. but then there's some light, and it's just like, ugh. So yeah, I watched that. Well, Tyler, I know we haven't really started the podcast yet. We're still talking about what we've been watching, but yeah. I didn't give myself very much tea, so I'm going to refill here. So oh, we're okay. going to have our segment of Tea Time with Tyler. Okay. Alright, this is where I refill my tea and think of something random to give Tyler. Okay. Tyler? Actors and cats. I did it already. Can you name <laughs> the character cat names from the movie oh. Cats and Go? Uh, yeah, it's uh, Mad- the Magic Cat. 
Bar Barthol nope uh Bartimus Mar Bart McKinty, nope. Uh Bumblezor. They're all so stupid. Like it's uh Tubataya. Oh Jericho Jericho cats is what they're called. Like they call themselves it's all every song is like we're the Jericho cats, we're the Jericho cats. Uh Um thank you. Rotunda Boo Boo. I don't know, I can't. I'm not even gonna look it up because guess what? I don't care. They are very <laughs> that was entertaining. Thank bizarre. You Weren't you telling me about like how there was? Oh no no no! Our friend uh, Jonah Anderson, who does another podcast with us, was talking to me about cats, and he made a comment about I think it must be an unbearable Kimmy Schmidt where Titus like went and tried to perform as a different cat and could get away with it because nobody knows the names of any of the cats or anything like that. <laughs> it's pretty good. I don't I that's, that's a secondhand great, joke, but uh, uh, who knows if that's even in Unbear- uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but that sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> sounds familiar. That's funny. Uh I'll rattle off the other three real quick. I think I had did I give you three on the list? Yes, Sound um, of Metal. Sound of Metal is a really good movie about uh hearing loss by it stars uh, Riz Ahmed who is a drummer who suffers Hearing loss. Very odd movie to watch while you're suffering from ear problems, I would say. Because uh, you're just like, oh shit, am I going to lose all my hearing? Am I going to have to learn how to do the, the stuff that he's having to learn? I don't know. Freak okay. me out. It's very good. He's great in it. It's on Amazon Prime. I would uh, highly recommend it. There's a secondary performance by Paul Racy, who's like someone who runs like a, a kind of a school for people who are, you know, suddenly deaf. They have to learn how to read mouths and do sign language he's really good in the movie um but yeah Riz Ahmed is is uh incredible it's a it's a it's a very good uh movie about uh losing your hearing and but not in a not in a trickly sappy way it's it's grounded in and well made I would say so I like that that's very good um sound of metal would recommend it um spontaneous spontaneous was a movie that was like it came and went, I guess, on VOD in October, and then it was, like, on sale. And then I, I – it hasn't been on a lot of top ten lists, but I did – one I trust, I kind of – they saw the name, and I was like, okay, I want to watch something, want to fill up my list, right? I knew what the premise was, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to – I'll watch this. It's not going to be great for 99 cents or whatever. I'm going to rent it. And I was, like, just – it's probably the, the movie that I have probably thought about the most in the last several weeks. Just mm-hmm. – it's a romance – it's like a teen romance comedy, coming-of-age type of thing. But the premise is in the first 45 seconds, we're in a classroom, and one of the kids just spontaneously explodes. Their blood goes everywhere. Blech. And it's uh, it's a thing that's happening to this particular school. Nobody knows why it's happening or who will be next or if it will stop. And it's so that's a very silly horror premise, but it's taking it, it's oddly it takes itself very seriously. But because the character played by Catherine Langford, who is on the Netflix 13 Reasons Why show, she's very sardonic. She's very sarcastic. She's very funny. And so the movie has a very sharp comic edge to it. And mm-hmm. it's very it's vital because it, it there's a lot of death going on. But because it's funny, it's able to kind of cut through that a little bit more and not just be something that's very insufferable. Right. And there's a a boy who has been, you know, has liked her for a while. And just because of this is going on, he just decides like, well, we don't know. We might blow up. I like you. Do you want to start, you know, let's start, try a relationship, right? And so it's kind of this romance for a while. And there's people blowing up and, you know, the government, like what I like about it is that it, 
they do address like they address the real worldness of it. They're just like they bring in the government. They get quarantined. Like they're trying to figure out what's going on. We don't really ever know exactly what's going on, but like at one point they think they figured it out. Like take a pill and then it doesn't work. Um and it's really good, but it's you know, obviously it's an obvious uh, to me it was very apparent that it's about school shootings in in a very uh indirect way. I mean, really, it's what about that is and it's about you know, not knowing uh, who's next or, 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 or how you feel when it's over or if it ever is over um, in what a lot of ways. What causes it and how to fix it. And... And, and, and so, I, you know, it was made, I think, with that in mind, right? Uh, school shootings and, and that kind of idea. But then, like, because of the pandemic, and I, I think you, you, when you read about the movie a little bit, it, it takes on this extra uh, feeling because it's like this unseen threat. This thing that's always kind of lording over you. You don't know exactly know who it's going to... The 2020 parallels are interesting, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it comes out of this weird time. Uh, and that being said, I feel like if it was a regular movie that supposed to, you know, supposed to go out in theaters, and it did, and this was a normal year where we didn't have that, I've, I'm very curious, because it's like, I think it's a tough movie, but it's also one that I feel like could be, like, really well-received. Like, it would be a, a hit. Like, I think people would really kind of respond to it. Because I personally found it to be quite moving and emotional, and and difficult, but also very funny and just I don't know I I really really liked it I was stunned by how much it kind of hit me in a way, um yeah I I really really liked it. I know you tried to get me to watch it and I missed it missed out on it. I know I gave you because I rented it and it was like a forty eight hour window. I was like ah just turn it on and then you were like I'm gonna watch something else. I don't know what you watched. Go to bed. What else did I put on that list? That's the best. Uh, that was good, though. Um, Possessor. Oh, yeah. In the same vein, I this is kind of how I went down that line. I watched Possessor, a movie that is on a lot of top ten lists, and it is a very, very gory, bloody... It's Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg, uh, filmmaker, who... It's a body swap... Uh, you know, it's a body swap movie where an assassin is able to kind of enter into the consciousness of someone else to perform hits to kill other people, right? But it's that sci-fi premise told with the from the goriest perspective you could say. Like you know, uh, it's a movie where when people die or they get stabbed or shot, uh, it, the blood and the guts they go everywhere. It is intense, right? Um, and I appreciate its intensity. I did not. Wa- Amazon has the R-rated version. It there was it was never supposed to be R. There's an uncut version. It's apparently like I read what was in it. It's mostly just more sex stuff. They cut out like an erect penis and some other stuff. There's a lot of sex in it too. So the uncut version just has more sex and a few more guts and stuff like that. It's not really my thing. I'm not like a bloodhound, so uh, I appreciated what it what for what it was, but it wasn't really my thing so then it was odd this to watch spot this i almost didn't watch spontaneous because i was just like ah, is another movie where people explode and there's blood everywhere like i don't know if i can handle this but that movie doesn't really like like it's almost like it's almost like dark humor when some of these people pop off you're just okay. like oh my god um so anyway possessor uh, a lot of people really like it i thought it was uh, fine <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Wonder Woman 1984. I got like 90 more, but that's fine. We'll stop. <laughs> Soul, Cats, Sound of Metal, Spontaneous, Possessor. Mm-hmm. Many of those are good. Yeah. Some of them are not. Yeah. Cats, don't I watch that. I watched a couple of those with you. Yeah, we watched the two big ones, so. Yeah. The big thing I watched uh, was the newest season of Sabrina that The came last out. season, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Last and final season. I didn't love the season before this, so mm. I wasn't that excited to watch it. 
Um, and it started out okay, and it was fine, and then it ended really stupidly, and I was very annoyed as went off the as rails. Well, huh? with well, it was, what's frustrating is that it's the the end of the series, which is fine, but you can tell that the creator or whoever is setting up some like maybe comic book. Well, it is. A, I mean, I think there's a comics of long running stuff. You can tell that it's, it's setting up some like characters to have their stories continue, mm-hmm. which is fine but it just didn't wrap up nicely it it did weird things like it introduced characters um in this season that didn't do anything but that were like strange so you're like what's happening with those people like who are what the fuck are they doing i can't remember and i could be totally wrong about this but i i feel like maybe they did film before the pandemic kind of hit this season but i know netflix ended up like because of some complications with production on some things they ended up like call it cancelings i don't maybe that's a case where maybe they weren't good they were going to do another year and maybe they just kind of said eh figure out how to wrap it up i don't know the character was ready to be wrapped up i feel like but the way they did it was i don't know it was bad you know sometimes they it's i feel like series finales are are really challenging to nail and these guys just missed it they missed it Mm, okay that's it um i also watched what netflix told me to watch um imposters mm-hmm. that's a new well new well, there's two seasons this okay i know it's been trending on it yeah it's quote unquote yeah it stars like there's a few you know anyway you said uma fun. thurman's in that right yeah there's 10 episodes in each season and she guest stars in about five or six total that's something yeah and she that's so she's she's interesting but it's uh you know, it's watchable. You know, you watched Sabrina, but you didn't mention the other thing that we, the Sabrina adjacent thing. We watched uh, Felice Navi Dad, which is directed by Melissa Joan Hart. I feel like we watched that. We talked about that last time. Did episode. we really? Yeah. I feel like, have we watched Felice Navi Dad more than once? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't know, man. I don't know. So what's weird Melissa about, Joan Hart. <laughs> yeah. What's weird about the Sabrina list last season, if you're watching, is that there en- enters some multiple dimensions, which is not unheard of in Supernatural shows. And so they're, they enter a dimension in which the Sabrina characters from the old show exist in the world, the aunties. But Melissa Joan Hart doesn't appear. But Melissa Joan Hart does not. And I've read some headlines about some commentary on that, but I've not read them because I don't care. But Oh, okay. It was like, we couldn't have the old Sabrina come in or that would break everything. Like, shut up. I don't care. Whatever. Your finale was stupid. All I know is that when Felice Nevy Dad came on and Melissa Joan Hart cameos in it, I was confused and thought that they just recast the main lady for for the rest of the movie because they didn't explain why she was there. Felice Navi Dad. Felice Navi Dad. (laughs) Yeah, I was disappointed by Sabrina. I feel like as a show, the first season was the best and I felt like it could have been better if it would have explored more of, like, the darker Sabrina, but it was still, like, we're in high school, mm-mm-mm, and, like, I don't know. Seems like that's right up your alley from all the it, shows you normally it watch. It is, which is maybe why I was, like, hoping for something a little different. Yeah, well. A little darker or something. There you go. Sabrina. I don't know. People like it, I guess. I don't know. You watched Bridgerton, too, didn't you? I did. Isn't that a Shonda Rhimes uh, period thing, isn't it? Yes, and not, by period I mean like yeah. olden times, not, not like not you're getting no menstruation. <laughs> I mean that'd be something. I, I she does a lot of shows. I could see her doing a whole show. Okay, on menstruation. so here's what happened with Bridgerton. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I think I might start the show Bridgerton. Yeah, I say I say to Tyler, mm-hmm. and Tyler goes, ooh, I heard that show has a lot of sex in it. That's what I heard. That's and what I, I go, heard. And I go, I go, ooh, I think I'm gonna watch. <laughs> That's that. what I had heard. I heard it had sex in it. And I go, oh, it's rated MA. 
perfect. Right up my alley. Apparently it doesn't have as much sex as like an HBO series. Hell no, I was very disappointed. <laughs> I was lame. like, this is not this is sex. Not enough and not in the and not no. No. That could have been way, way Which more has more sex in it? Bridgerton as a whole series of ten episodes or uh Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Does that show have a lot of sex in it? It's a movie and the, well, I, I mean, don't want I don't want to spoil the movie, I guess. I but. mean I mean it that it's not yeah yeah yeah. Which has more sex, True Blood or True Blood, man? Uh, I just remember Game watching, of Thrones you know, or how, how long ago was True Blood? Like ten? It's been years? a while now. We I, never finished it. Even we watched a few seasons. Yeah, but. I remember watching the first season of True Blood with on HBO with you and just being like, "Oh my god, this is just like it's a lot this of is sex." Basically, like pornography. It's pornography with like apparent like, occasional werewolves and vampires. Yeah, like holy shit, <laughs> they bite the necks. But mostly, and most of the vampire stuff was happening while they were having sex. So yeah, it was just fantastic. like fantastic. <laughs> If you're into that sort of thing, I, I guess. I am into that sort of thing. Biting of your necks yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, so Bridger- Bridgerton was, it was fine. Yeah, it, okay. was, it was good. It's it's nice to see, like, period pieces through, like, a Shonda Rhimes... Shonda Land, it's called, you know. Shonda Land um, <laughs> perspective, because, you know, she inserts her usual, like, scandalous stuff, which I think all these kinds of shows have, but there's actual, like black actresses and black characters and she addresses some of it too but in like a in a, it flows really well it's not too on the nose but gotcha yeah it was interesting so is really it gonna cool. go on for 18 seasons like Grey's Anatomy is still going fuck just die already Grey's Anatomy everybody else on the show has died Jesus. I don't know I haven't watched it but okay um, okay well that's we've watched a lot of stuff but uh yeah yeah and most of the stuff we watched in between when we actually watched Trading Places. <laughs> so we watched Trading Places about two weeks. Seems like it was a while ago. Two and ago. a half, three weeks ago. Yeah. What is this movie we're talking about? <laughs> Trading Places. Should we talk about it now? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Today we are talking about a little movie called Trading Places, and I'm going to jump right in with some high stats. High stats. Trading Places. Yes. Is a movie. Yep. It is rated R. It is. It was released on June 8th, 1983. Mm-hmm. That's the year I was born. It is. If you want to know. So I was uh, I was negative. You were not yet born. <laughs> negative some months. You were not yet born. Not yet born. It clocks in at an hour and 56 minutes. Yeah. It, yep. Yep. It and does. I, and as I say on every episode, it should be an hour and a half long. Most comedies are really good at that hour and a half mark. Yeah. This is yeah. a little flabby. I would say it's flabby. It's rated R. Mm-hmm. It was written by Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingard. Yep. And directed by John Landis. John Landis, of course, is famous for Animal House, the Blue, uh, Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, Coming to America. So he's done a lot of uh, seminal uh, 80s, That's a dangerous 70s word to and say. 80s. Seminal. 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 Because it's like semen. <laughs> I don't like that word. Uh, we're talking about True Blood. I don't know how can I know. you not talk about it? Uh, yes, this movie stars Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. Sure does. And then it has some other people like Ralph, Ralph Bellamy. Ralph Bellamy and Donna Mesh are the old rich white guys, the Koch brothers, essentially, uh, betting on this uh, thing. Jamie Lee Curtis Heck yeah. is in there. Uh, some other people we'll talk about when they come up. <laughs> it's estimated that the budget was $15 million and it grossed. It was a big hit. What's your guess? 60. 90. Yeah, a lot of money. In 83, that's uh, dynamite money, man. 15 to 90, that's a good return. Eddie, I mean, this is this is Eddie Murphy uh, just breaking out, right? This is just, uh, yeah, it's Eddie Murphy. It's okay. the Eddie Murphy show. People are excited. Yeah. Well, before we talk too much about um, Jump In, uh, 
let's do our what do you remember segment. Okay. Did you write something? I did, but now I realize <laughs> I, I started a new document for this episode, but I'm not sure where I put my Trading Places thing. Okay, well, maybe I'll just do it myself and not you. Oh, you're going to look for it? Yeah, you call it, say yours, I'll search. Well, okay, my, what I remember is, uh, this is part of the show where we talk about what we remember. Uh, well, we've seen it before. I said, Dan Aykroyd is rich. Eddie Murphy isn't. Some racist old white guys make them trade places. Aykroyd wears a dirty Santa costume. I don't know if I've seen this all the way through. Just bits on TV. And that's true. I... When we watched it, I was still unsure because many of much of it was familiar and some of it was not. So I don't know why that is. I don't know if this was a movie that was regularly watched by me, if it was just something I caught on television here and there. I do remember writing what I remember, mm-hmm. and then I remember that what I remembered was wrong. So I essentially oh. wrote mm-hmm. uh, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy have a Freaky Friday. Oh, you thought they actually switched, like, My My vague bodies. memory without, like, actually sitting down and thinking about it, as soon as the movie started, no, it's I od- remembered. it's oddly much weirder than that. <laughs> yeah. And my memory was that it was, like, they switched bodies and they had to, like, live as the other person. No. Um, but this yeah. is more like a, like a real lo- logistical Freaky Friday. Like, it's trying to, yeah, so I kind of like, I kind of like it. They manip, like, yeah, these, these white, rich yes. white guys have actually manipulate this situation with their money and power yeah. uh, to have these people switch places, which, you know, requires some legwork mm-hmm. uh, for the movie going. I think that's probably why it is close to two hours, because it does take a little bit of time to kind of get this situation set going. Up going. But essentially, these old, which, these old white guys, uh, Ralph Bellamy and Donna Mesh are, uh, they're they're stock traders. They just make a ton of money. Dan Aykroyd worked for them, uh, managing other people's uh, you know stocks and stuff like that. And they decide they they just have this debate about nature versus nurture. What makes a person successful and what doesn't? They notice Eddie Murphy, con- you know, tr- trying to beg for money on the street, and then they start thinking about making a bet to see mm-hmm. if they can take just a random person who had a bad upbringing and turn him into a success, and turn someone who is very successful and just take everything away from him and see if they can uh, do that. And the bet, of course, the joke at the end of it is that these rich, very rich people just bet a single dollar bill yes. on this uh, this scenario. So, yes. Well, I don't remember when I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty certain it was one of those that just, I don't, I don't remember when. But here's what I do remember. Yeah. I remember being fascinated by this movie. Yeah. I mean, just the whole setup is fascinating. And it may have planted some early seeds for me of my interest into, into nurture versus nature. And yeah. the psychology of how we become who we are. And is it based on your environment or is it based on your genetics which is essentially the question that these rich guys are challenging each other on one believes it's nature one believes it's nurture this and this this uh movie does not shy away from the inherent racism of what these two men are doing too Mm -hmm. um which i think is interesting i think it still makes the movie quite relevant in a weird way i mean i think the nature versus nurture thing is still relevant but even the racial undertones and there's some problematic aspects of that we can touch on but uh very problematic aspects we can touch on but um but yeah i mean i think that you know the way that dan Ack- the, ra- the way this kind of gets set up is that dan Aykroyd kind of has a very racist reaction to seeing eddie murphy you know trying to help him get his wallet or whatever and you know accuses him of stealing something that you know I feel like I read in the news like yesterday of like a story where someone like wrongly accused a black person of like taking something and having this, a whole thing blow up over this it. This is right? this is commonplace, right? So what I think, um, and I think you and I might disagree on this. Okay, but 
if it was just that, if it was just like, well, he's a poor black guy mm-hmm. and he's a rich white guy and we're going to switch their status. And if it was just about that, I feel like the movie would be a bigger miss than what it is. Because I feel like Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd bring more to their characters than just like just that simple description of like poor black guy. Yeah, no, I mean Eddie Murphy guy. is. I, I well, I I kind of agree with you, and I kind of don't. I I kind of agree with you in that I think the Eddie Murphy character is very very strong, and he's, he's I mean, interesting, he's and he's got just a lot of personality, and it's Eddie Murphy firing on all cylinders. He's very funny. It's dynamic. Um, he's a very intelligent guy who just needs like one little thing to spark to basically turn him into a huge success in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes sense. And it is less. Um, and I think the movie maybe misses a little bit. It almost doesn't. It almost has Eddie Murphy's almost too good. Yeah, because. It make the the argument is irrelevant. I mean, the argument is supposed to be irrelevant, right? Yeah. But I mean, the reason he's successful is because he of is a person he is. is very successful. It's it's less about like the way switching, he the, you know, and how he observes. Now, now the Dan Aykroyd part, I, I I don't know. Like, I feel like that character is a very broad, and it's very a, a very mannered performance by Dan Aykroyd. Uh, we can get into this, but I. I, I struggle with Dan Aykroyd in a lot of movies, and I struggle with with him here again. I just feel like the accent he's doing is very annoying, and it all just feels very much like he's trying a little bit too hard. Oddly, I think you know what I mean. I think he's trying. I, you know, I, I like him in this movie. Do you? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think he, a lot of people do. I think um, what what I like about this is the movie starts out and he is being served by a butler. And you're yeah. just like who's played by uh, uh, Indiana Jones, uh, the professor. Yes. Uh, yes. The name of he's the he's in the two of the Indiana Jones movies. And you just think like, who the fuck is this guy? And he's treating the butler kind of uh, not super rudely, but just right. like he's like being obnoxious. What I like though is that you learn that um, he doesn't like own this rich company. He just no. like works for these. He rich is an employee. Guys. Even his house is owned by. Yeah. And he's dating the niece of. Like yeah. this is he is just living in this world. Right? Yeah. So I find that to be. I, I think that that was good writing. To his, not the butler is named Coleman. It's played by Denholm Elliott, who played Marcus Brody in Raiders and Last Crusade. Yeah, and I think he does just a really good job he's a, as the butler. He's, great. he's, he's great in the movie. almost a little distracting. I don't know because he's because he's too good. Yeah. Kind of. It's a charismatic part. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I I hear you. I, I, I think that, again, I think he's really trying, and I feel like there's an idea there of a performance. I just, for whatever reason, I I struggle with Dan Aykroyd. I just, I do. Even in movies that I love, I struggle with Dan Aykroyd sometimes. I think what he's about- very good in very small parts. Okay. Like, I think when he shows up in Tommy Boy... That's kind of like perfect Dan Aykroyd yeah, to me. Yeah, that's I or gross point that. blank. Uh, you know, when he's even in like Ghostbusters, which is a movie that is like a, a just a major important movie of my life growing up. Right? I'm just like, oh, Dan Aykroyd. I'm all about. I'm all about Egon. I'm all about Peter Venkman. All about Winston. You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's the star, but I think he. Who? I mean, who would be better? He's playing a straight man here. Well, no, I, I, I don't know. It, it might just be a, a personal issue that I don't I just don't connect with him as an actor very much it could be that it could just yeah. be as simple as that I thought he he pulled the fall from grace um it, let's talk about this fall from grace because it's it's so <laughs> it's so it's so orchestrated based on almost nothing and if we didn't live through the last year I would almost not believe it but my god 
<laughs> With <laughs> like, a little misinformation, you can manipulate anything. Yeah, so basically the, the, the hook of it is that the old guys hire this con man who's played by uh, Paul Gleason, who is like the Breakfast Club principal, right? Yeah. And so basically, bad the way that he gets kicked out of this job is like he he manages to like sk- make it look him. like he steals like three fifty dollar bills, right? And it turns to look at that he gets fired, right? And then it's uh, getting accused of using uh, drugs or planning some drugs on on his person, he gets arrested, uh, having a Paul Gleason. This is how Jamie Lee Curtis comes in the movie. She plays a prostitute. He gives her a hundred dollars to walk up to him and like pretend that like he's her drug dealer her drug dealer right in front of the penelope the girlfriend right and so then he loses the girl blah 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 right lose the girl loses the job goes to jail um, loses place he lives right and it you know it's just it's it takes again it takes a little time to get going and i again i find that a little bit like maybe the problem is is that the other story is just a little bit more interesting because it's got Eddie murphy at the front of it and he's getting to have more fun, I guess, whereas Dan Aykroyd's just going through some shit. Like, it's all bad shit happening to Dan Aykroyd. But it's I not like, funny. But what... It's not... I think it is a little bit funny, because there's a part of me as the viewer, because they introduce him in the beginning, of being kind of a little bit of a shithead. Just well, he's a, a shithead, bit, yeah. That when these bad things are happening, it's a little bit satisfying. You're like, this guy is a fucking douchebag. He kind yeah. of... Maybe doesn't deserve all of But I mean, the trajectory this. is is that we're not going to think he's a shitbag at the end of it, right? I mean, he's going to learn a lesson and... Blah, blah, blah. But right. when it's happening, I was I, I enjoy watching someone have a fall from grace. It's quite entertaining. You know, the other weird thing is that it, it takes a lot of time to get going. And then it, it, the other odd thing I'll say about it is that Eddie Murphy, like... Like, the whole, like, him getting comfortable with the rich lifestyle almost happens so fast. It's just, like, he has to almost, like, get too big... F- and it, I, I, the movie pulls back on this rightfully before it gets goes too far where he, you know, he feels like he's too big or he's already like better than because he has the success or he's treating like the house. Cause he, like the thing, the example is he gets these people to come to a party at the place, right? And at first he's totally fine with it, but then like almost immediately he's like, oh, stop touching that or you're breaking that. Or he's very sensitive to the stuff all of a sudden. Like he's very mm-hmm. stuff centric pretty quickly. So I was a little worried, uh, not remembering the whole angle of this movie mm-hmm. but it does pull back from that uh, pretty quickly because then it kind of just focuses on Tan Aykroyd trying to exact revenge in some pretty crazy I mean the movie kind of goes to some dark places here with him I mean he on Christmas Eve he goes to this party he tries to plant drugs on Eddie Murphy it goes really poorly he has a gun he's like threatening people with the gun at the end of this night he sticks the gun in his mouth and he tries to kill himself yeah and then takes pills later where he again tries to kill himself like this is uh, pretty heavy stuff yeah uh, that's getting thrown into the movie um, and then you know that's kind of where things start to turn around a little bit but um, one thing I'll the main part of the movie we can talk about is kind of this last half hour which is the most fascinating okay to me. before we get to that but though. I I did want to just say a couple different things okay. go ahead what are you gonna say Jamie Lee Curtis right so Jamie Lee Curtis and this is something I just wanted to talk about like the 80s-ness of this movie <laughs> this oh. movie the tits <laughs> There's so many boobs. Boobs, <laughs> like, boobs, boobs. This was a thing in the 80s where it was just like, well, it's an 80s comedy. Well, you got to make sure there's a bunch of boobs. And it's not just her. There's other people. The party that Eddie Murphy throws, there's just people wandering. This is a thing in the 80s. Apparently, in the 80s, your gender, when you went to parties. What's, what? W- women. 
Oh. Women at, in mm-hmm. the 80s, when they would go to parties, they enjoyed partying with their tops off, just doing normal party things, but their tops are off. Yeah, and not in a sexual way. Just no, they're just casual, not wearing anything. Casual, topless And this is an 80s activities. thing. It's like just a lot of toplessness, but not in a... There's No one's having sex. It's just like they're topless. Another case in point is Jamie Lee Curtis, who has topless scenes in this movie, which is almost shocking. The What we know about Jamie mm-hmm. Lee Curtis, and all of a sudden you're just like... What the Jamie Lee Curtis is just like walking around topless in this movie for no Boobs. reason? It's weird. Boobs. And not in a sexual not way. Not sexual. She's just, I mean, she's playing a prostitute, but she's like very nice to Dan Aykroyd. She's only trying to help him. She's only, you know, she's the hooker with the heart of gold. She's only yes. making money so she can do this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, no, she's just not wearing a top. Yeah, she's like changing. <laughs> she changes in front of him, and you're like, boobs. It's just, it's a very 80s thing. You have to like, what is the purpose of these boobs? It's the 80s, and they're like, people won't go to the movie. If it's R-rated and it's a comedy, they know that people, they gotta see gotta Porky's. Gotta get those boobs. It's the Porky's scenario. You gotta have so, boobs. This might come, maybe this came out before Porky's. I don't remember, but. It is just so weird watching it, though, because you're like, oh, there's some boobs. Okay, well, that's happening. Well, this is just something that is gone now. Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's bad, it's gone. I think it, it, it's necessarily gone for movies for the most part um we've gotten rid of that right um yeah this this random toplessness and then you watch something like possessor which is a movie the movie i was talking about earlier and there's nudity in that movie but it's like equal opportunity nudity and it's just like banging nudity and mm-hmm. it's just like oh man they're i mean like you know why like it, they got an unrated cut you know what i mean it's like oh there's an erect penis look at that yep. oh he's putting it into the thing Yikes. interesting yeah it's a whole deal which is not what you get in movies. See, it's only certain movies like that that we have like now. But then, like a lot of other like quote unquote adult movies have like no sex in them at all. They're almost sexless. People will wear like sexy superhero costumes, but they don't like they don't fuck. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just it's a weird sexless uh, yep. culture. Whereas we we've almost steered. Because and it's probably because we had all these movies where people were just walking around topless. Anyway, it's just it's weird because it's like that, that's that's a, a forty year career amazing actress Jamie Lee Curtis just with her boobs out. Yep. Okay, yep. Right, let's move on. <laughs> they're not they're they're very nice boobs. Let's I'll give her that credit. Okay, I don't think that uh, anyone cares about your evaluation of. I'm just. Else's I'm not trying process. to be. Ne- I'm not negative toward her. They're, they're, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that it's odd that they're out. <laughs> it's it. It did take me aback. Yeah, because like, oh, 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 boobs. Yep. Okay. Anyway, we talked about the boobs enough. Had had to address but it. She's so great, though. She's good in the movie. Otherwise, I mean, she's very watchable. She just has that like screen presence. She's just. Very reliable. I was going to look up her, you know, the, what she made in between Halloween and this, and I, I, I didn't. So <laughs> we can do that now. If yeah, you because really Halloween, like. you know, she broke out, obviously, and uh, you know, there you go. But uh, she made Halloween too, probably. That makes sense. Um, she made several other Halloweens after that, but yeah. Um, what else do you want to talk about while I look that up? So, I mean, I feel like the last half hour is kind of where this movie is especially weird. Um, in, in weird, and not in a bad way, it just it's very different than a lot of how other movies kind of go. I like how you say that. It's just very different. Well, the big, so, you know, the racial stuff. Like, this movie, I think, maybe gets some criticism for what Eddie Murphy ultimately hears in the bathroom when he overhears. He kind of gets onto the plot, right? These old guys uh, use the N-word on him. And then, you know, they, he realizes what they're doing and they call him that word. And, um, it's, uh, you know, always striking when that happens in a movie nowadays outside of Tarantino land, it seems like. Um, 
but I think it's uh, kind of necessary to kind of show who those guys are and, uh, uh, you know, that part of it kind of, sp- you know, starts this whole thing where he, they, he and he goes and, you know, meets with Ackroyd and tries to plot revenge against them, right? Or try to stop them from ruining them again. Because the plan is, is that they're going to, uh, dump Eddie Murphy, even though he's been very successful. They're still going to fire him, and they're not going to bring back Dana. Like, they're just going to ruin both yeah, these, these guys. Yeah, these people are just expendable to them. Yeah, they're done, right? And it's racially tinged, but they're also just terrible people, right? So that part, that racial aspect, I thought was, um, you know, harsh but still relevant. Um, you know, the only, the problem in the movie, of course, is when they get to the train... And you got Dan Aykroyd popping out in blackface in like a Rastafarian uh, thing. Oh so yeah, that's a you know that. that's something that is in this movie, and uh, it, yeah. you know what are you gonna do? It's, it shouldn't be in the movie, we, but there it is, right? It's it's there. It's a different time, and uh, there it is, and that's all we can say about it. It was never okay to do. It was that. never okay, but it's just like, well, there's that, and it's luckily it's very quick. It doesn't doesn't last too long. Does he wipe it off? It feels like he maybe is sitting in the makeup for a while, but um, the accent I, gets dropped at least. I just feel least. like I've already pun- expunged that from my memory. Yeah, it's weird. And this is this is this whole ending. It's so weird. They, there's this big sequence on a train uh, for New Year's Eve. They're trying to... Uh, part of this whole plot hinges on the old rich guys getting an early report on oranges. And the, everything that these people are trading is just like... It's like pork belly and and oranges and this is how dumb I am. I don't even know if this is like I don't think this is this is a thing, but maybe it is. I'm not sure. But um uh, you know, they're going to get an early report. Paul Gleason is there. They're trying to set up a con where they can maybe get hold of the actual report and switch it, right? And you get this really strange sequence where they're, you know, they're dressing up. Eddie Murphy is in a in a costume and doing an accent and Dan Aykroyd is and Paul Gleason lets on, and then you get Jim Belushi, uh, John's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Belushi, according to Jim, <laughs> jingle all the ways. Jim Belushi, mm-hmm. just here as a, a party goer on this. Uh, he's wearing an ape costume. Uh, it's so bizarre, and it's only really here to set up a situation where there's a real ape on the train, and he's in a cage. And through a circumstance, the Jim Belushi, who's drunk in the ape costume, eventually they get Paul Gleason in the costume so that they can do, like, a joke where the real ape, uh, like, sexually assaults uh, Paul Gleason in an ape costume. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Al Franken is, isn't it Al Franken who's here as, like, the guy who's in charge, one of the guys in charge of the, the uh... security, yeah. Oh my god, this is so weird. This is just this long sequence that's not, and it feels like it's gonna be the climax, and then it's not. Like, we actually have a real climax where they're going to the the trading floor, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh man, it's so weird. (laughs) What are your thoughts on this ape thing? It seems like harsh punishment for this one character. Well, he's a bad guy. Yeah, but he's essentially getting, like, butt-raped by this ape. And it's weird because it reminds me of, uh, is that in, uh, it's it's a later movie, obviously, but doesn't Ace Ventura When Nature Calls do a similar gag with, uh, they're not in a costume, but, like, there's an ape that grabs a hold of the villain and the bushes are shaking. That sounds familiar. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Again, keeping in mind, this is a movie where Jim Carrey uh, is birthed out of a hole of a, in a mechanical uh, rhino. <laughs> we should do that movie. <laughs> do the Ace Ventura movies. There, although there's some problematic aspects there. Um, you've disappeared. You've been going down the Jamie Lee Curtis rabbit hole? Nope. I'm going down the the stock trading Oh, good. Because hole. this is what I'm... Because, again, this train sequence is very weird. 
uh, kind of ruined by the the blackface. Um, and then we get a real climax in which I had to admit to you before we started, I was like, it seems like they're doing something, and it seems like they made a lot of money, and it seems like those rich white guys are no longer rich, but I don't know exactly what happened, because I am not a smart money guy, and I don't even do taxes. I mean, I, you do the taxes for us. We do our taxes. Correct. I just personally don't do them. Correct. Well, um, luckily, there's a lot of really smart people out there, and NPR actually has a great breakdown of explaining what actually happens in the end of this movie. Oh, when did they but do this? What year? What art? What year was this article came out put out? In 2013. Oh, okay. So, so it must fairly, be 20 you know, year seven anniversary. Years ago. Okay, 20 yeah. year anniversary. What I will do is I'll skip down to the end where it says bonus the Eddie Murphy rule. Mm -hmm. It says, one interesting kicker to the story, because you had questions about this. Mm -hmm. Trading commodities on inside information obtained from the government wasn't actually illegal when the movie came out. Oh. But it is illegal now. It was banned in the 2010 finance overhaul law under a special provision often referred to as the Eddie Murphy rule. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, So, essentially... People trade commodities. This right. this is a thing that happens. Okay, that's a real thing. I know people that do this, and I still uh, I've written. Let's just let's say this: I've written stories where I interview people that do this, and I convey the information that they do. But yeah, I did that. It's been a little while. I've forgotten all this. Okay, so this um, is written by Robert Smith on NPR. Okay. Heard on All Things Considered. So he talked to um, Tom Peronis, who's a guy who spent years trading OJ options. So it's a okay, real, real thing. thing. Okay. And he walks, the, he, he'll walk you through what happened with their whole plan. So, so let, let me, uh, this, they're going to get, the whole idea is there's a report about the actual yields of oranges in Florida, mm-hmm. right? And they are going to use that report to either like buy concentrated orange juice or to not buy concentrated orange juice because it's going to depend on whether or not there is a good season for oranges. That's right. Okay. Yeah, you essentially got that right. So the first thing they do, step one, is they give the Duke brothers bad information. Okay. Yeah. Right? So they say there's going to be a shortage of oranges, right? Yeah. So the report says the orange crop is strong. When the rest of the world learns this, the price of OJ will fall. Right? Because there's going to be lots of oranges. People are going to want to buy it, right? No. So the the report says that the crop is strong. So here's the thing you gotta learn about Tyler. He doesn't mm. understand things like this. Nope. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it a few times. The crop is strong, so there's gonna be lots of oranges. lots of it. No demand, low price. Lots of supply. Right. Which means the price will be low because there's Cause plenty of freaking oranges. There's plenty. Of it. Everybody can get it. It's like gas. I get when you talk about it in gas terms. Like why is gas higher or low? That's better because I that I, I go and buy gas. So so the price of OJ will fall. Okay. So, uh, Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. and Dan Aykroyd create the fake crop report that they put into the hands of the Duke brothers. The mm-hmm. fake crop report says the crop was bad. So, okay. the Duke brothers see this and they believe the price of OJ will rise. So, they buy low and so thinking that when their two, report comes out, they're, they'll, all their, they'll make a bunch of money. Step two, right. they drive up the price of orange juice in the future. So, this, so the, I'm if you want to stop listening, that's fine. If you're curious how this scene played out, continue listening. Um, so they drive up the price of orange juice future, futures. So this, the floor of the commodities exchange is where this happens, mm-hmm. right? The Duke brothers have told their trader to buy orange juice futures and to keep buying no matter how high the price goes. The market opens and the Duke brothers 
trader starts buying. Everybody else sees this and thinks the Dukes know something. Because they're they're bigwigs and they are very successful. Suddenly everybody's buying. The price goes up and up and up. The Dukes keep buying. So this is what I didn't understand. So step three, sell to the suckers. Then comes the key line for the entire movie, a line that's almost unintelligible. Standing on the floor of the exchange, Dan Aykroyd yells out, sell 30 April at 142. So this is a part of the movie I didn't understand. I was like, I don't so know what's happening. the real report has come out at this point, right? Uh, still, or maybe it just has or has not. So come. The no, real it report- hasn't come out. It's coming out the next day. Okay. So here's what that means. He wants to promise to sell orange juice in April. That's why it's called Futures. So he wants to promise to to sell orange juice in April for $1.42 per pound. The 30 in his line means he wants to start by selling 30 contracts. One contract equals many, many pounds of OJ. Also, that 30 might be some other number. It's hard to understand what he's actually saying, but it doesn't really matter. They sell a lot of contracts. All the other traders think the price in April will be higher than $1.42. The traders mob, you know, Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. So they sell it now? Lots and lots of OJ from them at $1.42 a pound. So step four, wait for the other shoe to drop. A minute later, everything on the trading floor goes quiet. Everybody looks at the TV. On the TV, the Secretary of Agriculture walks up to the podium and set and reads the orange crop or, orange crop report. The guy tells the world that the orange crop is fine. Mm-hmm. So step five, buy low, get rich, and bankrupt your enemies. So to the traders, this means that the price of OJ is not going to go through the roof. All those so traders who, it. a minute ago, were buying all they could, now suddenly need to sell. So the price starts falling. When the price hits 29 cents a pound... Winthorpe and Valentine start agreeing to buy orange juice in April. In other words, they have contracts allowing them to buy millions of pounds of orange juice in April for 29 cents a pound and to sell it for $1.42 a pound. So they sold high and bought low. They're rich. The Dukes made the opposite bet and went broke. It's still very confusing. Yeah, I don't know what you said. <laughs> you need you need me to draw pictures. I'm gonna need pictures and so circles. Later, I'll have like some yeah. orange trees. Yep. Yeah. And oh some, yeah. Like, if you don't have oranges, and then I need like the little jugs with the orange concentrate, I will not understand it. So you have to give it all to me. So they just tricked. I mean, I get that they like the way. I mean, the con. The concept the, is fine. They the concept is fine. The movie lets you get to know enough to know that like the the bad guys are going to lose their money and the good guys are going to win their money. How it happens, it makes sense. Like it seems like that's how it, you would do it, but I don't know. <laughs> and then I just I'm like, well, it looks like they figured it out. Woo! <laughs> well, it's full of people. It's very much in a pandemic. Very, uh, it's a very alarming scene to watch. Where there's, isn't it in the World Trade Center? Yeah. Yes. No, well, is that where that's at? No, no. But we see the World Trade no, Center. They're in... No, they're in New York. Are they um, in... No, but like this. So you got that. You got the World Trade Center. You got all these people crammed together in one place. Uh, twenty twenty watching of this movie is very much uh, full of anxiety because uh, there's just people shouting and throwing things around, and they're all just. You know, I know there's a lot of like uh, computers now that do this, but people still go and go on the stock exchange and uh, and uh, do this though. So I, you know, I don't know. It's very confusing. I was just like, why, why do people care so much about orange juice? I like orange juice as much as the next guy, but yeah. It's interesting. It's <laughs> it's bizarre. It's a bizarre way to end a movie like this. Um, I, the point is, is that, I, you know, I think that... 
what they do is they make it so you don't have to understand. You understand you the gist and you get the rousing nature of it and yeah. you know that they're rich and you know that the bad guy's lost and the bad guy has a heart attack and, you know, one of the bad guys has a heart attack, right? So, and then the movie ends with them on a beach with Jamie Lee Curtis. So, I, I mean, yeah, that's fine. It's just, it's a very, it's just, it's a very unique uh, way to end this movie. I mean, it, between like, basically after the moment after Dan Eckridge has to blow himself away, uh, this movie is very strange in a, in a way that a lot of other movies are not. Um, it's some for better, some for worse, and uh, yeah. Anyway, that's it's just unusual. It's a satisfying ending there on the trading floor, though. Yeah, it's you know it has the scale, so to speak, of a comedy. And then they really take it one step further in the final final scene where they're like chilling on an island. And that's where, like, the catchphrase comes from or whatever that's, like, on the cover of the DVD. Oh, it is? Yeah, like, you're doing good. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> like, that's how much I've forgotten of this movie since we watched it. Feeling good? Looking good? Feeling good? Or something like that? <laughs> I don't even remember. I'm going to pull up the picture because now I am curious. They're not just getting rich. They're getting evil. I remember every vivid death in Possessor, but I don't <laughs> remember. Uh... Uh, what even happens at the end of this? It's uh, funny. Oh, Tyler. So, I mean, after watching it, you got a sense that you had seen this before, though. For Oh, I knew I had seen it. I've seen yeah. it more than one time. Okay. So, yeah. do you have, I've always liked this movie. You just had a memory? Like, where... Because it does predate us a little bit, so it, it's weird, weird, weird. And it's R-rated, so even when it's on television... I feel like I've seen it on television. I'll tell you, the you want to know the moment that I knew that I had seen at least some of it? Jamie Lee Curtis's boobs came out, and I was just like, Oh, that's weird that I know this scene. Like, I must have watched this on only HBO. Like, because yeah. they wouldn't air that on uh, cable. So that was weird. Yeah, I don't remember when or where or who with, but I've seen it a few because, times. Because, like, why would your why would your parents show you this movie? <laughs> they wouldn't show us movies. Here's the thing about my parents: they would yeah. watch whatever movies they wanted to watch. I think the main takeaway of this is that um, Eddie Murphy is just kinetic and the whole thing and very mm -hmm. funny and that's really that's the whole thing to me um he yeah. brings all his charisma and funniness well, and it, charm you know i he's think so lovable what's weird and you know and he's doing coming to america two here it'll be out in march or so um people i i think people kind of sometimes you know whether they remember you know too many nutty professors or they remember pluto nash or norbit and they kind of forget that um this guy is like, I mean, when he's on, he's on like no one else is. Like, he's just that good when he's in the right role, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, it's not so good when he's not, but that could be true of many people, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's always good to remember. I think it's always good to, especially in the late 90s into the 2000s when a lot of the Eddie Murphy projects were not great. He was doing too many, like, kid-centric movies, yeah. um, too many Shreks, maybe. Uh, you know, it's easy to forget that, like, when this guy is on, there's no one else like him. And yeah. this is where he's at in this movie. So. Yeah, and I know you like to dig him, but I think that Dan Aykroyd is, makes a good foil for Eddie Murphy. They don't really have a lot of stuff together. That's the they weird don't, thing. But, like, Toward they, the end, they do. They're, but... they're opposite-ish, but they have enough common stuff to come together. I, I don't know. I, I, I struggle to articulate what it is. I just, I, I, I just routinely like struggle with Dan Aykroyd. Um... And I don't, but he's in a lot of movies that I love, so it's it's he's one of those like things. He's like a white dude. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's too into selling his like bourbon or whatever he sells now. I don't know, <laughs> or his insistence on you know 
constantly trying to make a, a new Ghostbusters movie that never worked Maybe out. Maybe it's just or, that he has a weird face. I don't know. He does yeah. have a weird face. I, I, I mean, I... The the Ghostbusters movies do kind of pit you autumn. I mean, he's just he's the fourth best, like right off the bat in that in those movies. So just like you're already setting him, you're setting because it's Bill Murray, you know that's number one. He's the whole thing in those movies, right? Can you imagine Eddie Murphy is supposed to be? You know that was the initial idea was that Eddie Murphy would be in Ghostbusters. What would that movie be like? Because that's a whole other different comic energy, right? I mean, I don't know, but yeah, it's just uh, I don't know what it is. Name some Dan Aykroyd movies that you liked. I mean, I like The Great Outdoors, even though it's... But that's pure... We'll have to, we'll do that movie eventually, but it's pure nostalgia. I don't think that, that movie's all that good. Uh, he's in both Ghostbusters. He's in Gross Point Blank. He's in Tommy Boy. He's in uh, a terrible movie with Chevy Chase called Nothing But Trouble. He's in Coneheads, which I've watched within the last six months, oddly, uh, which is not a very good movie. Um, he's in... God, I mean, he's in a lot of he's things. He's in it, but what... Conan, what? Conan, he's a star of. What have you liked? Oh, I mean, again, I, I like him in Gross Point Blank. I like him Did in you Tommy like him Boy. In Neighbors? Didn't we uh, talk about that movie? Neighbors? Which, what do you mean, oh, Neighbors? Oh, maybe I was thinking of... Uh... With the Seth Rogen movies? No, I was thinking... Nope, I was thinking of a different movie uh, with Tom Hanks. It wasn't called Neighbors. It was... Uh, oh, The Burbs. The, the Burbs. Burbs. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, Neighbors is a movie that came out in 81 with John Belushi. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. Yeah, I, I don't. How young he looks. In I don't. This picture. He's got like blonde hair. Oh yeah. I mean, I like the Blues Brothers. The Blues Brothers, yeah. but it's not like it's because not I was it, because it's a little early. It's not one of my movies, right? Um, Blues Brothers two thousand is not good. Um, God, what? There was another thing I was going to say that I do like him in and now i can't no never mind i was thinking the movie that i just thought of that he's like oh he's the third build in christmas with the cranks and that was his he reunited with jamie lee curtis with that tim allen dan Aykroyd, jamie lee curtis christmas with the cranks Whew, there's a movie isn't it he's in that movie <laughs> he's like the shitty neighbor who's like you can't not oh, yeah, celebrate christmas Vic. yeah it's a terrible movie but uh yeah there you go the jamie lee curtis dan Aykroyd reuniting yeah, a little bit different not, movie. I mean, I'm looking through his list, and then, uh, yeah. He's, you know, he does, yeah. Yeah. He okay. appears briefly in the Ghostbusters uh, reboot, and he'll, I'm surely he'll appear in that one that comes out this year, hopefully. Yeah, he's credited, at least. Yeah, I mean, so, it is what it is. I He wrote, he you know, he co-wrote Ghostbusters, and again, that'll be something that will he'll stand the test of time and he's in the blues brothers and he's in this i mean he's not like he's i don't hate him i just he's not my guy he's not your cup of tea he's not my guy i'm a bill murray guy what do you gonna what do you want from me i'm a harold ramus guy what do you want from me i'm more of an eddie murphy guy what do you want from me <laughs> oh my god stop i'm that uh marcus brody guy <laughs> from indiana jones i'm more of that guy so this came out in june mm-hmm. um what what do you think is up with that I don't know. It's an end of the year type movie, right? Yeah, um, it's I think it's strange. because it's it's Eddie. You know, it's it. Even it, back then, it was important to come out in the summer because that's when you make your money, and they knew they were going to make money with this, and so it came out in the summer. That's pretty much it. <laughs> I think that's the only explanation that's yeah. necessary. The Green Outdoors came out in '88, so five years after this one. Yeah, which is a John Candy. I mean, that movie's the only reason I like that movie is because of John Candy crushing yeah. it, and Dan Aykroyd's playing a kind of the annoying shitbag in that movie too. So. Maybe it's partly that he's, he's always playing That's like what I'm kind saying. of the shitbag. He shit always bag. plays the the jackass, kind the of asshole, the like 
like pissed. He always plays the pissed off guy. Yeah, he exasperated. I, that's what's odd. I think you know in this he's he, that's why it's it's almost it is kind of that right because mm-hmm. he starts out as all unlikable, but it's just it's very mannered in a way that just seems it doesn't fit him yeah. as well as it it should. I don't I hear know that. Anyway, all right, well, trading, that is places. trading places from nineteen eighty three. That's all I got to say about that. That's our podcast, Old Millennials Remember Movies. If you enjoyed this podcast or you have a special requests on movies you'd like us to watch and talk about, drop us a line at our website, oldmillennialsremember.com, or you can find us on the social medias, which we rarely check. But so we're on the pod- you can find you know. us on the podcast places, though. Yeah, that's how they're listening. You always say that, but it's like, obviously they know that. You can find us on those things. Next week, ooh. <gasps> I know technically this should have been that episode, but you know it's Sandy New Year, baby. Sandy New Year <laughs> coming up next week, so or whenever we decide to post it, it could be five days from now, it could be twenty days from now. We don't have a set day that we post these. Again, you're welcome, share everybody. This, <laughs> share this with a fellow old millennial. Yeah, drop us an email or a comment on our website, and we will talk to you another. Did movie. you know the other podcasts? They like pick a day and they come out on that day. Can you imagine? Podcasts are lame and not. Not done by people with real lives. And they do, like, social... They do all these things. Did you know that? Yeah, we have real jobs, though, and kids and lives and stuff. Do we? Yes! Oh, you do. Yes, I fucking do. (laughs) Oh, you do, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk at you another movie. Bye!